Welcome to Unfiltered Studios, your one-stop destination for a diverse range of podcasts that cater to every interest. Join St. Joe on Nailed It as he explores the fascinating times of the 80s and 90s. Find solace in the advice of a mother on Petals of Support. Dive deep into intriguing interviews on The Sleevy G Show. Catch up with the latest in sports on Unfiltered Sports Weekly. Connect with your spiritual side on Finding Your Way. Achieve mental wellness with hypno-wellness. Never forget the history of everyday items with The Stupid History Minute. Understand how we've become the people we are today on How to Be Less of an Asshole and gather with fellow movie enthusiasts on Movie Lovers Unite. Your journey into the world of podcasts begins here at Unfiltered Studios. Subscribe now and join the podcasting revolution. Unfiltered Studios, where every voice finds its place. Visit unfpod.com for more information. And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me, I have a very special guest with me. I have the director and writer for the film, Fucking Nuts. And that's actually exactly, exactly how that movie is spelled out. And I really enjoyed this short film. I thought it was very clever, very original. I really enjoyed it so much. So I decided, hey, let me um, let me go on ahead. Let me re- let me go on ahead. Get the director and writer for this film. So without further ado, let's go on ahead. Let's dive into this interview. I'm excited to have Sam here. So let's do it. And hey, Sam, how are you? I'm here. You look fantastic tonight. That, thank you. I wish that I had like a smoke effect and then I appeared, but um, the pyrotechnics didn't come in handy today. So, Well, damn, where is Rob Zombie when you need him? That's all I got. <sighs> No, I don't know. Right. I lost his number. Well, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to say welcome to the show. I definitely enjoyed your film. And I just want to say this. I thought the whole entire aspect of having it in like an 80s kind of style of the way you did the shooting and the scenes and stuff like that was fantastic. And it does have that throwback of like a 90s uh, Tales from the Crypt kind of episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. And and thank right. you for enjoying um, the film and my bizarre mind. Um, it's funny when I when I did the intro to the film I had no idea kind of that I was inspired by anything it was just I was thinking about a foreshadowing thing of, of showing the house and then the squirrel pops up and then when we were in the edit and I was watching it and I was watching the blood drip down I was like oh my god this reminds me of something I think it reminds me of the crypt and uh, and I looked up the intro and I was like it's exactly that but different and it's right. interesting how um, these things that we you know watch religiously when we're young inform our brain and our subconscious and how we don't even try to um imitate our favorite artists we just do so exactly. it's unintentional I, yeah I, but I i'm glad was very clever though I, yeah absolutely but going ahead i know that you were trying to say something else though too sorry oh um oh no, i was just um kind of finishing up that thought and then as far as the um the retro look and feel to the film i like to give my films um an ambiguous timestamp. so we have, you know, the very 50s set of Sandy's room, very inspired by like, Greece and Sandra D. And then um, the interior is kind of 
of the parents' house is kind of um, very seven text chainsaw massacre, like Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, all the other stuff kind of fits in between. And I just, I like to um, make it so that you don't really know uh, where you are or what you're watching. You see, I definitely like the way that you have the spinning camera going around, um, around the main actor, which is Maddie Nichols. I like how you have it uh, around her and it's going around in a circle as she's talking on the phone. It definitely has a 50s kind of 80s kind of feel to it though too like a Beverly Hills 10210 kind of vibe that you're going with especially when she's on the phone and then you even with the lipstick on the mirror and there's actually a lot of callbacks to like old uh, stuff and nostalgia stuff that I grew up with so I thought that was really cool and how you played off on that. Yeah I'm, I'm really glad like that in shot because originally when I thought of this film and I kind of thought of the idea of the pun um, the only thing sorry my dog like she loves to be part of Zooms so she's asking okay. to come up. This is this is Oops. She's Aww. the executive producer of all Foxy films. Say hi. You had your paws <laughs> on it, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's the money. Um, yeah, so when I when I first kind of thought of the film, very, very, I, you know, I'm not a writer really, so um, I kind of just write the visual scene that I see, and mm -hmm. the, that I saw was a um, a girl on her bed upside down with those those sunglasses are mine, so with the glasses, all of that stuff, and um, and I saw the spinning shot and uh, a kind of way of saying like when the when the film starts, her world is completely upside down because she's about to break it off with the love of her life and then the lipstick on the mirror um, that whip pan was actually I think two days before shooting I just I thought that would be a cool shot um, to do something in the mirror and then I thought about doing the names cross I'm always trying to find little ways in the set and in the shot to kind of um, support the story I guess and support mm -hmm. the theme um, that's definitely like where my strong suit lies rather than dialogue or any of that stuff it's about creating uh, this visual picture that really tells Tells you. I mean, as they say, show it, don't say it. Um, I don't know if that's exactly how they say it, but it's the same sentence. Right. Tell it, don't show it is basically what, um, you go. Is what they say. And I think that you did a very good job of doing that because of the fact it lays out other guys that she was with before she got up with this other guy. So my first instance is this. I like how you don't give too much or anything either. So I'm over there going through this thing. I say, is this like an episode of Dexter? Is she like really stockish? Is she killing off boyfriends? What's going on with it? Then you get into the whole entire meat and potatoes of this where basically you have this guy who is just really in love with her and then she goes no my parents are nuts and I'm, and I'm thinking about the same lines of this guy it's like yeah every family's nuts I mean what's what's the big deal what's you know and then once you get into the plot twist which I thought was a hilarious way of actually ending it on that <laughs> note you. you're very welcome because I was not expecting what I what I was expecting and it goes into this comic book kind of vibe to it though too and I like the POV vision of this though as well with the first person view with the knife with the mother holding the knife and you don't even know what the mother looks like you don't know what the father looks like you hear the voices but you don't know who they are i, I was playing way into this and going and my brain was going a million miles a minute i'm like wait what is going on here i actually had to stop it for a minute and then play it again because i just needed a little bit of a reboot of what what i am seeing and trying to process it that's just the way i process movies when i review it sometimes no i'm i'm really glad because i mean part of my favorite thing about the horror genre is that it's really mm -hmm. the only genre in um, in film where you actually get the chance to let your imagination run wild because in comedy it's all written on the screen and drama it's all written there but with horror it's all about you know what you think is worse than what's actually what can be uh, seen on screen so it's all about playing into that and um, and that's kind of my favorite thing too is like tricking the audience um, I hope to you know I love a 
good twist. And I don't know if this would be, I guess it's a twist. Um, it's more so in my, in my way of a play on words or a double entendre pun. And um, it's a way of me telling uh, a very traumatic part of my life growing up with parents who were, um, you know, I would always tell my friends, like, I don't want you to come over. My parents are fucking nuts. And that's kind of where this idea was born. Um, but that was a nice way of putting like, you can't come over because if you come over, you will never be allowed to hang out with me ever again. And uh, and so I've never really told us been able to tell stories that were honest um, to my experience growing up. Um, father passed away, and my mother just wrote a memoir, and she kind of exposes you know all of her addiction stuff. And so I finally felt comfortable telling people like, okay, this is what was going on at home. But because uh, I'm sadistic and sarcastic, and I grew up with. Um, British self-deprecating humor. I had oh, wow. to do it in a way. Yeah, I had to do it in a way where it's just um, a big stupid joke because, you know, I was raised on Monty Python and John Cleese and Faulty Towers yep. and all of that. And you see, I think that people don't realize this, but you can use comedy as a way, as a mechanism to block out the horrible things and then just put it into something else to make people laugh. Or, I'm just going to use an example. Thor Love and Thunder, you know, Thor's laughing his ass off or whatever. Like he, he goes, oh, my, my world just died and you're making he's making a joke but at the same time he's hurting so yeah. you're using it as a way as a coping mechanism which i thought was really interesting on how you, how you just uh, told me that story because i'm like okay so i understand now the metaphor because that's what i was going to ask you was there a metaphor <laughs> as to what was going on within this as well because i think it plays off really well if someone's going through something and of course i have crazy parents and everything too and, and i think that's actually a perfect timing for you to be able to present this since okay it's like for example oh my mom wrote a memoir my, my father died so this is actually the perfect time for me to be able to air out something but without having to basically write a memoir without having to basically make it a true story just make it a non-fiction story and make it into horror based because that's what you like is horror movies too right or is yeah. it just strictly horror no 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 I, I mean I love I love films of all type but I'm really drawn to horror because um, I am in my weird dysfunctional home of a lack of any parental oversight, I was exposed to very, very um, messed up films at a very young age. And I think that, you know, when you're seeing, uh, <laughs> I think I saw Faces of Death when I was like or six. When you're seeing something like that at such a young age, um, which now are, are, you know, I guess it's Gen Z, they're exposed all of them at such a young age because they have, you know, the access to the internet right here and they can see anything. Um, but for me, it was really shocking, but then it made it so that I needed to excite that part of me. Um, and I get that with horror, um, not necessarily a lot of the new stuff. Uh, I don't really like torture porn. I don't really like CGI. I love practical effects. I grew up like John Carpenter and, yep. um, and and yeah and all that all that good stuff and um but i i think for me uh it's you know laugh in the face of adversity you know the tears of a clown uh, it definitely is a coping mechanism and to a fault i have trouble taking anything seriously because i am you know just have to make light of it because that's how i've survived um and sometimes people get really pissed off with me because they're like can you just not fucking make a joke out of everything but um yeah if you're listening you have to understand it's my coping mechanism 
Um, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm the, I'm basically the same way. I'm basically sarcastic, smart ass. I have to make a joke at every single thing. And I was like, you know, this kind of time. I'm like, well, okay. So what day can I, can I book this to not be serious? I can do 12 <laughs> to one. I'm like, this is still not helping. I'm like, okay, so it ain't never going to happen. Got it. So I'll cancel the 12 to one and I'll move you over to Friday and <laughs> we'll try this out again. But you know, I'm, that's just who I am as a person. I just can't help it. If there's an opening, I'm going to take it. Like I'm just yeah. that kind of person. And I know that's probably the way you are though, too, in a sense. Absolutely. And I'm nothing compared to my sister. My sister is, and she's so funny um, and she's so quick and she is, I mean, she actually was, uh, I'm only half English. She's full English. So I think she got both sides of that really quick wit sarcasm. Um, but yeah, it's like anytime anyone says anything, she's just right in there with, and it's, I mean, you can't hate it because it's really, really funny. Even right. if you're frustrated by it, like, you know, if you say something, you know, if it's funny and it breaks that tension, which I think is a nice way to um, open up to actual real talk. So, you know, it's like humor is an icebreaker. And then once you kind of have that, and once you're able to talk about the dark stuff, then you can kind of dig in and get real. Right. And that's basically like an introduction to yourself. It's like, okay, well, I got this shit over with. So this is who I am now. So <laughs> deal with it. So I like yeah. that. Um, but you were talking about, I want to go back a little bit. You were talking about how we were, how you were exposed to horror movies at a young age and stuff like that too. Well, I was also exposed at a young age as well. And my mom thought it was a good idea to rent child's play as a kid. (laughs) And the front cover should give her a, give her a sign for crying out loud that this is not made for a kid. But here we are. (laughs) And she winds up renting it from the video store. And I, I just remember having nightmares of Chucky wanting to kill me the whole entire time. Because when you're a little kid, you're thinking, okay, this massive doll who's standing over you is going to fucking kill you. And my mom's like, oh, this is a good idea. I'm like, yeah, way to go. And trauma, trauma at age five. Can't wait not to see okay. what's going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> so we must be we must be around the same age because um that one actually so there's only like I like I said, you know, faces of death is like people killing themselves mm. or killing other people live. Um it's snuff film. And for some reason that didn't have really an impact. I mean, Rosemary's baby was my all-time favorite around the age five mm. of five. Um the two that really messed me up were Chucky, because as a kid, I'm seeing my dolls and it's something that I can like that's tangible and real and I can actually make sense of whereas like when you're five you don't know what murder is but you know what a terror doll is you know with evil eyes and then pet cemetery because I grew up on uh like an animal farm and so I could connect to the idea of of animals becoming possessed so it's really interesting how at that young age there are certain things that really haunt you more because it's the only thing that you can really grasp onto. And uh, yeah, I, are you 1988, 1987? 85. Okay, okay. So I'm 88. So I was... I think I was probably watching it around five as well, so maybe a few years after, because I remember my sister's eight years older, and she used to, and I was, you know, it's this older sister, you're upset with them, and they're so cool, um, and I was, you know, gross and smelly and kind of a loser, weirdo kid, so <laughs> all I want to do is in my sister's room, and she just used to watch, like, nonstop uh, amazing 80s horror films. 
And so that's where I really got exposed to it. And she would say like, Sam, if you want to hang out in my room, you got to be cool with this. And of course I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. You yeah, know? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah try me. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am just like watching it like, oh my God, I don't want to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm cool though. I'm cool right now at this moment. Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. Right. Cool as a cucumber. You got this. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So I've been a fan of Maddie Nichols for a while. I've seen her in other films. I see uh very first film I seen her in was the Lifetime movie that she was in. And then I've seen her in um Stephen King TV series from HBO Max, The Outsider, which is Stephen King is hands down one of my favorite writers. He's also one so my thing is this has it was it always <laughs> Maddie that you had yeah picked oh awesome uh but was it always maddie that you wanted for that role or was it specifically you had to audition four or five other girls before you got over to maddie um i, I i'm glad that you're a maddie fan because i am her biggest fan and um she is just as wonderful and amazing as a human being as she is as an actress and i'm so lucky that i found her um as a friend and as someone i can work with but uh originally i this was like the first thing i ever wrote a long 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 time ago and it was never i had to rewrite the ending and i only rewrote the ending last year and that's when it kind of worked but even so, I was like, I can't make this in LA. It's going to cost 50 grand. And so it took me making it in New Orleans, uh, which was a fifth of that. So um, originally I had written it for London Thor, who was um, the daughter of my acting coach. And she just had this look to her. I love the look, this baby face, but behind those big eyes you could just see so much sadness and but she looked angelic and i loved that um dichotomy of of the way that she looked but also what was going on inside and i think for me i really growing up i i show I didn't talk about what was going on, but you could see it by the way I dressed, by the way I did my hair. Um, I wasn't necessarily a goth, but I was more emo and listened to goth music. And, um, you know, you could say like, you could spot me in a crowd of like, that's the right. popular girl, but with troubles. Um, <laughs> and so uh, London was, she couldn't do it because she's um, filming uh, got an offshoot of the boys. I forget what it's called. Um, in Canada. Oh, she, yes. Yes. So she got a great part in that she couldn't do it. And, um, so I reached out to Vin who plays Dan is also wonderful in all aspects. Um, again, as a human being, but also as a producer, as a, um, with press, with, uh, connecting people. So he, helped me in production on this just because he lived in new orleans for a bit and he's just good he works really hard and um he works on my level which is just non-stop and i told him you know i don't know who to cast i want to go with a local hire because i have to film this in new orleans and you know it costs a lot to fly someone out there and and put them up and i know new orleans is a big hub for actors and right. so i said i want a girl that's got deer in the headlight eyes um she looks you know, she's got an arrested development. She looks really young and innocent. But when you look at her, you can see that something is very wrong. Um, and she's got this baby. And she put together a list. Maddie Nichols was at the top. I watched her reel. And I was like, I didn't even look at anyone else. And uh, I think we reached out to her agents. And I don't think her agents responded because it's like, it's it's an ultra low budget short film. And Maddie's right. a, you know, a star on the rise. Um, and who am I? Uh, so I, I DM'd her on Instagram. And and she checked out my stuff and she really liked it. 
And she told her agent, she's like, I want to do this if I don't book anything bigger. And then uh, sadly for everyone other than me, I had the strikes on my side. So I got, you know, very, very strong talent in front of and behind the camera because um, nothing was being made at the time. And I got them for right. pretty much no money, which I think, you know, if it was any other time, um, these people couldn't do it because you have to take bigger. Or would it be one of those things where like you find out two days before they're available, which is very stressful. Right, because then you have to start planning uh, each scene out. Then it's like a two-week shoot instead of the month shoot because you're having yeah. to rush because they have other projects that they have to do. So I totally get it. I totally understand yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah, making indie films with um, A-list talent is is darn near impossible. Um, and not because of the talent. And I love agents. I'm not talking crap about agents. But right. um, of course, they want their clients to be available for big jobs. Big jobs come up last minute. It's one of those things where it's like, if you, you know, I, you know, you can let them, you know, two weeks before um, if they're available, but two weeks before is, you know, with wardrobe and all the things it's not enough. Um, no. So I'm really stuck in a rock and a hard place at the moment of trying to get, and I think anyone that's doing indie film, because you've got to get that talent to secure financing, to secure right. distribution. But to get them for no money is very difficult. It is. Um, matter of fact, I actually interviewed a director and a producer for a short film called Dixieland. And it talked, uh, uh, the actor who played uh, Candyman, uh, Tony Todd, uh -huh. uh, he, he actually did Dixieland. Okay. And... And so they told me a lot of the behind the scenes stuff as well. He goes, we didn't think it would actually happen. We knew we uh, we worked with him before, but we didn't know that he would actually go about doing it or anything. Next thing you know it, they booked Tony. So I thought yeah. that was actually pretty cool that, you know, these old school actors are actually paving the way for upcoming indie directors who because they were once there themselves of trying to climb the ladder to get to where they want to be. So they understand from a certain standpoint of like okay i'm gonna help you out and because i was once there myself and i think that with maddie though in a sense though she will do these uh projects because of the fact that she's still trying to climb that ladder she knows that she loved the script she knew what she was getting and the thing is that you're right though she is like a girl in headlights but also too has that little bit of innocence and stuff like that but when you have that close-up shot of her on the bed it has, makes her more of an adult and everything too it makes her look like she's at least 21 22 years old sitting on the bed versus it being a 17 year old it's just because of how close you have that zoomed in on her face to make her appear as a, like a grown-up and i think that was really cool and clever to do and then once they're on the doorstep there's that innocence again so you have it going both ways of okay I'm this teenager who's in love with this guy. Oh, wait, I'm a 20-year-old girl who's sitting on my bed who's in love with a guy. So you have different levels and layers that you're going through this thing that I really love about it. And and I know that I keep on talking about the bed scene, but it kind of reminds me of Nightmare on Elm Street, where basically you have like this spinning bed and you're basically carrying the camera around. And I'm, real, I'm sucked into it because of Maddie's dialogue right off the bat. And you're trying to figure this out and you're all long for the ride because you're you don't give away too much or anything either and that's something that i really did appreciate with it oh thank you um i appreciate that you appreciate that and yeah actually you know originally i think we kind of talked about her being 17 but when i was really conceptualizing the role before i even brought on maddie thinking about what actors to reach out to i liked the idea of because basically the the essence of and the main message of this film is about the sacrifices that we make for our family and how in a way 
we we don't really owe them anything, especially if they messed us up and we have our whole lives that we're doing therapy and, and all things right. and fixing our relationships and all of that. And yet we still feel this, um, this like you have to protect them. And I felt that not so much with my dad, but because my mom was uh, an addict and an alcoholic, I really felt like I, I always have to protect her. And I'm like, that's not my job. So I really wanted Maddie to be uh, the role of Sandy to maybe even be someone who was actually out of school. So like 19 years old, maybe 20 Mm -hmm. to show that she actually cannot leave the house because she is indebted. And that's what the final scene is. I wanted to create this kind of like mother Mary scene of, um, of sacrifice of like, she's ultimately at the end, she's given up her life, her love um, for this family. And, you know, at the end of the day, even if, even if she was to save Dan, um, no spoilers, you are left with that baggage for your whole life. And the next short that I'm going to actually kind of everything that I do is about that emotional baggage that um, no matter how hard you try to get rid of, it's part of you. And I just find that I find that so fucked, but so fascinating at the same time that, you know, I've done years and years and years of therapy and I am still, my brain still is so hardwired to work the way it does because of what I went through and with my family and um and it will never unless they have like some type of drug that they can give you that actually changes the makeup of your brain it'll never change and i just no. i find that, find that therapeutic right yeah now here's the thing i think that the way you're doing your films is therapeutic for you as a healing way of getting yourself out there too because i think yeah you're telling a story but it's in your details and on the way you're feeling as well so it can be very therapeutic to the point where it's actually self-healing while you're also going into psychiatry though too. So I think that's helping the balance a little bit of, yeah, you, wherever you go, you're still taking that baggage with you. But at the same time though, you're able to let it go through your writing, through your directing and let it be on someone else for a little bit. And basically you're giving them something extra that they never knew that they had, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also you're um, finding a way to bond with, because we all have our, our stuff, our baggage and, and mm-hmm. it's a way to bond with me and Maddie really bonded over that and and Vince too um and it's just for me you know like I said I've been in therapy for a long time like there's you know a, a time where I started telling my friends that knew me as I was growing up what, what was going on but for me it's this way of being able to kind of unload some of it in a in a setting that isn't just like very very personal and so that's like not necessarily even the process of doing it because the process of doing it was a so fun and then at the other time right. so so stressed out trying to get everything right so you don't even really it's not a cathartic process but it's the process afterwards of stuff like this of q and a's on stage watching people react hearing uh people come to you and say what they took away from it sometimes i get a review where um they hit every single thing. I mean, they know every single, even the subtle stuff that I put in there. And it's this moment of like, wow, okay, this person gets it. I feel seen. Um, and that's a really beautiful moment because it's basically, it's the artistic expression. It's meaning that you successfully expressed yourself as an artist without words. And um, to me that, you know, if I was put on this planet for anything, that's what it was. That and to entertain, which is 
hand in hand the same thing. I agree. I definitely agree with you. And it definitely hit home with me on a lot of stuff. And even the metaphors that I was going to talk that I was mentioning earlier and stuff like that. I'm like, there's got to be a metaphor for what's going on within the film itself. And I'm glad that you were able to tell me that and that you were able to express it. And I it's expressed through your writing it, through your directing style. Uh, the, I just want to say I this movie is probably one of my favorite films of 2023 when it comes down to horror. And Thank I've seen you. a lot of crap. You're very welcome because i i was like well are you gonna go see uh you know the new exorcist i know i said i've seen every single exorcist movie the priest comes in some shit goes down the priest winds <laughs> up dying the family dies the end of story um but you guys should go ahead and check out fucking nuts whenever <laughs> the movie gets released like what's fucking nuts i'm like the horror movie it's a short film seven minutes long how can someone tell a story in seven minutes it can be done if they do it in the right way and i said what this director did is fantastic you got you need to check it out when you can and I saw the, I let them look at the trailer. They're like, oh my God, this looks really good. This looks like something that I would watch in like in a Beetlejuice kind of setting and stuff like that. This is something that is, is for me. I'm like, exactly. So, you know, I have one person on board that wants to check out the film whenever it gets released <laughs> to the public and everything. So I just want to let you know, I think I made him into a Sam Fox fan. So. Oh my God. Well, thank you. I, I owe you a lot. And I, nah. do you have um $3 million? Because if you do, you can support my first feature. I am sorry. I ah, shucks. Okay. Well, right. I don't know. I got I got to try it at some point. But, um, exactly. But, but I mean, thank yeah. you, thank you so much because, uh, like you know, I really give every inch, centimeter, millimeter of myself into, into my work. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, all I want is validation. So I really appreciate that. Very and it makes, yeah, it gives me a reason to keep doing this because, you know, I'm not doing it for the money because I make no money. And I'm not doing it because of like the happy, fulfilling, like it actually, I it tortures me. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those weird, like sadomasochist things where, um, you know, filmmaking is I, I have a my writing partner that I'm writing my feature with and I'm producing her next feature we just get on the phone sometimes at like 7 38 p.m and we talk for an hour and a half about why we're doing this <laughs> because <laughs> because we're just we're so beat down like you know if you really really do it and you try to do your own stuff independently you will send so many emails and make so many calls and get no response or hear no, or hear critiques. It is so um, self-deprecating and abusive and like really, and I, I I don't mean to like, because it's also the most fulfilling thing in the world, but it's not, it's not fun and easy and, and any of that, you know, you just over and over and over and over. This morning at 6 a.m. I woke up to a thing of like an email saying, I don't know what I can do for you, um, good luck. Good luck is oh when I hear good luck I just die and um and it's really stressful because <laughs> right because you're putting everything on the line here you're sacrificing stuff putting aside things that you normally would do or whatever to do something that you love doing and you're passionate about and you care about it and you want people to care about it and be passionate just as much as you you care about it and it just sucks because you know when you reach out to someone it's like good luck it's like what the fuck I thought that I actually put everything I had into this and now you're telling me good luck well okay well I guess I'm off to the next person then and it just yeah. sucks though because you think that somebody has the same love and passion that you do for the same thing and they don't yeah or or they might like 
you know, on the flip side, they love what you're doing. But mm. at the end of the day, when you're asking someone for a lot of money and a lot of their time, uh, one of the most important things is a is it marketable and also mm-hmm. and what you market it. yeah, and it's like it's one thing to you know send someone an email that's a you know production company distribution company and send them a script. You have no financing, you have no one attached. Now, if I send you a script and say I've got so like a, a name, a talent attached, or we've got some financing, or we've got some amazing, you know, I'd be the director. So some amazing star DP or or something. Then at least some of the legwork is done because they're taking a huge risk on you, not only, you know, fiscally, but also time-wise. Right. I, do get it because I even receive emails where I'm like, I wish I could help you, but I have not, I have nothing. I have nothing like available. I have no, you know, I only do so much. I have no jobs available. Um, so I do get it. Uh, and they're just, they're like, thank God for these. Um, and these are independent film studios or production companies or distributors that I'm reaching out to. Thank God that they're even responding because most of the time I get no response, right. but I just, you have to just send it off and forget about it you can't hold on to it exactly and you have to keep on doing going you can't just let one thing stop you and as well because here's the thing i never thought this is just i'm just using this as an example but i did another short film review like last year for coleman domingo's film of new moon and he's played in fear the walking dead so i never thought in a million years that he would actually like my tweet retweet my tweet and he'll he wanted to come on the show and i had to reach out to the publicist i don't hear anything for like three months and I'm like, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? Kind of thing, because you get anxious about it, just as how you get anxious about certain things within that world that you're in with the directing and stuff like that, too. You're like, is this going to fall through? Do I have to get another actress? What's going to happen? Is um, is something going to come up all of a sudden? Now I have to hire another one. So there's a lot of the mixed emotions going on within the industry itself and how to market something and how to put a price tag on something, too. And, you know, I have this I have a question two for you is this so i've seen the short film lights out which was a youtube short that somebody had made and do you i think that your film has a capability of being like a lights out to me what do you think i don't i i don't know lights out what's lights out okay so basically it's a horror movie and and basically when the lights go out the boogeyman comes uh comes in comes in behind you or whatever you turn the lights on there's nothing there then it keeps on playing this back and forth game with the light switch and then next thing you know it you wind up dying it and it's a pg-13 film but i thought that the concept of it was really cool and also to the um it was an indie film short film that nobody thought would even get made blumhouse goes on ahead and decides that they're going to try and market it i think that blumhouse is missing out on a good chance of marketing your film to doing something do you, a lot bi- do you know anyone at blumhouse that you can send an email to that won't get a response <laughs> trust me if um, i did i'll be emailing them every single day I promise you, Sam. are you are you listening uh this is what because i wish for, i wasn't sorry go ahead right, because blumhouse is here's the thing i like some blumhouse movies because they're smart at their marketing they do a movie for six million it makes over 120 million or 150 million they don't over budget their films 
So therefore it breaks even. And they also have original ideas. And what, and what I mean by that is, yeah, on paper it looks good, but on screen it could look like total mess. But at the end of the day, it's they know how to market a film and they do nothing but horror movies. So I think that Blumhouse, if you're listening, I think that you should go on ahead and hire Sam. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be pushy or nothing, but you know, I'm just rooting for you. I'm 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 available. Um, this is what I wish I was Epo baby. I like I'm from LA and I don't have any connections into the industry. What what is up with that? You know, um, I don't know. You, you, for all you people that I are mean, trying to get that that are living in LA and everything, get the same chance here. Let her have some contact. Yeah. But that just goes to show you though, just because you live in LA and everybody thinks that because you live in LA, you have a set list of people to where you can go to. No. It's not like that. LA is a big city and either it can make break, make you or it can break you. And you have to choose to either let either one happen and hopefully something will happen for you. But um, but yeah, and I just want to mention this real quick. Um, so I've reviewed the Kane Harder documentary and they said, and I have to have an agree with this and I want to see what you think. But they said the reason why people love horror movies is because that's where you meet death. And because of the fact that you can have this fictionalized story of death being played out and you get to meet death for two hours and then you can go on ahead go home and that's it you're living your life the next day but what do you think of that concept um i'm just i'm just refilling my my cocktail real quick uh <laughs> okay that you know maybe for some people not for me i don't want to meet death death is no. i do not want to meet death at all me too for but me, i'm thinking like <laughs> at, like what i'm thinking is it's basically uh let me think what i'm trying to say here so basically what i'm trying to say is basically horror movies is a coping mechanism to help you with uh coping with death coping with anxiety and stuff like that too if i just to give a clearer example but i think that's uh, i think that's why people love horror movies because it actually triggers something within them to help them so that's Sense. interesting you, you say that because so I I watched um a, I think it's Dutch a Dutch movie last night called Snow Evil um it's a Shutter original and mm -hmm. a friend of mine watched it and we were on a hike I'm like oh have you seen anything he's like yeah I saw this movie it's really fucked up and really bleak uh I don't really recommend it it made me feel awful afterwards like that's my movie so of course last night I, I put it on and it's one of those kind of funny game style like slow burn tension very real very like grounded that. yeah well that's the stuff that's terrifying at least for me right. and I got I got it was an hour and a half movie I got an hour and there was 30 minutes left and it's all building and the whole time it's building in a way where you know your anxiety is building with it and it got to a point where it was about like 9 30 p.m i go to sleep at 10 30 and i was full-blown anxiety watching this film because it's you know it's not necessarily scary it's oh it just gets to you and i'm like i can't watch the rest of this um because i know it's about to go off and i'm like i will save it <laughs> I'll save it for tomorrow. I woke up this morning at 5.30 a.m. I think I put it on at 5.45 a.m. And I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to start off my day. Just because I know that I'll have a whole day to, because I do get, I do get stress dreams and nightmares from stuff I watch, yet I still watch right. it anyway. But I'm like, I'll have a whole day to kind of wash it away. And it was like 6.15 <laughs> when I finished it in bed. And of course, I'm like, I won't have anxiety. It's the morning, full-blown anxiety. It was pretty, pretty fucked. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's a great film. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee to fuck you up. I guarantee. I guarantee it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. Uh, but, yeah, for me, it's it's nothing about like if anything, the last thing I want to do is think about death. For me, right. it, it I, sometimes I feel very, if anything, uh, dead inside. Um, you know, as I said, emotionally, I I make jokes out of everything. So it's I'm very very repressed in my emotions. I'm very in control of my emotions. And when I watch horror, especially psychological horror, I cannot control the emotions that I feel. And it's the one of the only times I can't control it because it doesn't matter conversation with other people in real life. I can always shut it down and push it down. But I lose myself when I'm watching movies. And I think for me, it's the feeling of being like emotionally affected and open. And even if it's a bad feeling, it's it's caused by a movie. So I was just, I saw the um, old boy just did a, uh, a theatrical run and I was in mm-hmm. I was in Brussels and Paris and I actually saw it in Brussels I saw it with a friend and um, I hadn't seen it in 20 years but I remember it, it always like really really affected me and by the end of the film I was crying like kind of hysterically and you know that the person next to me was kind of asking why and and I was saying because there was this one shot in there that was so beautiful and emotionally touching which I know sounds really weird for that film but um, it really got to me and it let out this side of me where I felt like I could cry whereas no one has ever seen me cry not my best friends not my you know my family I always hold it down film can open me up in a way where and I allow it to because I can say oh it's not my it's not me it's not my emotion it's the movie that caused that and that's why i watch horror and i think you know it's different for different people right for me i see that yeah yeah some people watch a drama and they get that effect but i get that through something that's so shocking and so disturbing that it like shocks feeling into my dead soul you see i like that i like that a lot (laughs) i like that concept a lot better than meeting death i I, I really do i think that's a lot better way of actually explaining it well thank you you. yeah no 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 go ahead i want to let you finish Oh, I was going to say, I mean, the beauty of of cinema is that we all have a very different experience. Um, We all like, you know, things that I love, other people hate and vice versa. And that's what I think. Because movies are subjective, right? It's great. It really is. Like everybody's like, oh, how could you like that movie? I'm like, movies are subjective. That's the the beautiful thing about film. You may think that a movie's a piece of shit, but guess what? Somebody else is going to think that movie is fantastic. It's a 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5, everything. But movies cannot be measured. And because it can't be measured it's subject and it cannot be right it cannot be wrong and i think that's a beautiful thing about phil um but yeah i th- uh, you know what though i really enjoyed talking with you this has been a great interview i want to have you back again uh some sometime soon as well um just to talk whatever if you want to do a horror movie or anything like that I- i'm game for it i'm a huge horror fan i love dark comedies i like i love anything so if you ever want to come back on again either to- even just to talk i'm fine with that i mean i I, I love to talk. So of course, I'll, I, you know, any, anytime you'll have me and just on your last point um, about the whole, you know, you can agree, not agree and movies are subjective. You don't get canceled for not liking a movie or for liking the movie. Um, you know, I think it's definitely in this new age where everyone has to agree on everything or else you're different. Um, right. I think one of the beauties is that movies are subjective politics, not subjective. You know, exactly. other, other 
things in life not subjective. And the thing is, yeah. you know, this is another the beautiful thing about movies and everything too is you can be in a movie packed with uh in the theater. You don't know anybody. They don't know you. But it's the one place that you can don't have to worry about religion, politics, or who you are or where you're from. You're there for one experience and one experience only. And it is for you to enjoy the movie with other people and to be able to have a feeling of something and leave with it. And then who knows, you might actually have a conversation with somebody else that you don't even know, which happened to me before. And you wind <laughs> up having a drink <laughs> with them. <laughs> so I it's mean, the best. it really is. It's like, the best. I, think- I, I love, I love getting into arguments with people about movies that I saw years ago. And I'm like, there is nothing else that is, that is like that, that can really cap and things that you remember for 30 years that had such an impact on you. I mean, there's nothing like film. There, is, there isn't. Exactly. It, and it half of my brain is not, right. And half of my brain is nothing but quotes. So I quote movies <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> Same. Lots of Jurassic Park quotes over here. And there ain't nothing wrong with Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. I ended up reviewing that a couple of months back and everything, nice. and did a revisit for it for the very first one. And yeah. oh my god, I still love it today. It's one of the best films ever made. It's a, actually it's a perfect movie. Jaws, it really and Jurassic Park. Uh, uh, Spielberg made like perfect, perfect films of uh, something I just learned actually when you're because I'm learning all about distribution and foreign markets and all of that because that's the fun stuff I have to learn with independent film. Um, horror and thrillers and uh, action are the biggest selling internationally. And if you have something that is relatable to everyone, so if it's not supernatural because supernatural, not everyone's experienced supernatural, but if it's something like a, a current uh, like an earthquake or a tornado or getting lost at sea or dinosaurs coming back or a shark. It's something that everyone knows the feeling of fear because it's very real. Even Jurassic Park, although it's, you know, we haven't done that yet, but it's coming. <laughs> I, I saw something about some sort of worm that was like 4 million years old that they're resuscitating or something. And I'm like, didn't they learn from Jurassic Park? But um, no. yeah, movies like that that are done so perfectly jaws is what 50 years 50 years old 50 years old 50 years old and it still terrifies me it's one of those movies that still terrifies me but it also got me into studying sharks when i was a kid like i would go over to my aunt's house in boston because that's where i'm originally from and i would rent i would actually go over there and borrow his jaws movie every single summer it got to the (laughs) point where he's like you know what kid just keep it (laughs) because i I loved it so much over and over and over that that monologue by I forget his name, the actor Shaw. Right. Shaw. And the funny it's, thing is, he was drunk the first time he did it. Oh, I saw and, the documentary. Yeah, I, and he, <laughs> I mean that I documentary is so. I, yeah, and again, like if you want to, if you're a filmmaker and you feel lost, well, that documentary and then Parts of Darkness about making Apocalypse Now. I watch those every time before I make a movie when I'm losing my shit, and I'm like, okay, it's not this bad. I can do this. Right. Exactly. But Sam, I, I wish you a lot of success with this movie. Um, You've already having success with it in the um, film festivals and stuff like that. You're knocking it out of the park. I want to say congratulations to you uh, as well. But please come back. I'd like to, to actually have you back on here. Just doing a review or um, doing like a top five movies or something. So Oh, I, I can easily do that. You got to give me top maybe eight or ten. But um, but also I'm I'm making a new short um, with a lot of the same team in the next few months. Um, a very, very, one that I'm very excited about uh, that has to do with an apres ski club run by aliens. 
very Stepford oh, Wives. Awesome. Yes, it's <laughs> I'm, as I'm trying to find this three million dollars, which you didn't have for me. I'm very upset. I'm just a poor white like boy to... trying to make it in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so as I'm trying to raise this money, which could earn and pitch this film, which could take years, uh, my producing partner Desiree Staples and I decided that we must make another short. Um, and so we will be doing that. It's called The Blue Diamond, and we hope to be filming in the next couple months. So uh, I will be back to talk about that and. In the meantime, we'll be back to talk about anything because I love talking about movies. All right. Sounds great. So, guys, that's going to be it as far as this interview goes. Thank you so much, Sam. Please stick around after the show and everything. I would like to talk to you for a little bit more. And always until next time, guys, have a great and safe night. And we'll, guide, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Unlock a new era in podcasting with Unfiltered Studios. Ready to break free from the ordinary? Dive into a world where authenticity meets innovation. Our network isn't just about podcasts. It's a revolution. From nostalgia to movies, sports to self-improvement, find your favorite podcast in an array of diverse shows. Only at Unfiltered Studios. Join the movement. Subscribe to Unfiltered Studios today and join the podcasting revolution. Unfiltered Studios, where every voice finds its place. Visit unfpod.com today to find your favorite show. Unfiltered Studios. We'll help you press record. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.